Hey, if you have your Bibles, uh, and I hope you do, uh, turn to First uh, Peter chapter five. Um, we're going to finish up First uh, Peter, and then next week we'll get going into Second uh, Peter. Um, so I like to, whenever I study, and uh, Craig sent me a text a few weeks ago and asked me if I would be interested in teaching this week. I always like to. Um, I always like to look at a little bit of history. Like, what was going on during this time? When was it written and all that stuff, right? So I go and I look it up and, well, you know, I've got one of these study Bibles. So in the very beginning of this chapter, it lays it out. Hey, this book was written in A.D. 64. Well, that's cool. I was born in 64. A couple thousand years apart or whatever, right, maybe? So I got some connection right off the bat. Hey, the next thing, though, when I begin to look at it, though, was was this is about 30 years after the death, burial, and resurrection of our Savior. So about 30 years post Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And interestingly enough, within about five years of Jesus' birth or death, burial, and resurrection, there's the birth of this guy named Nero. Nero is the emperor during this time. From 54 to 68, this is when Nero is the emperor. A Nero came from a long line of vile parents. Nero's family was tough. His granddad was a murderer. His, mom, his dad was a murderer. His mom was a murderer. His mom, Agrippina, she was known to poison people. In fact, before Nero became emperor, somewhere around age 16 or 17, imagine that. You're 16 or 17-year-old running a country, right? Somewhere around that age, she poisons Claudius. Claudius was the emperor at the time. He's dead. Nero had married Claudius' daughter. This happened about 10 years after Nero took, took over as the emperor. Nero's, the, the, the parenting skills of Nero's parents were 100% effective. Because Nero became just like them. Nero killed his mom. Had Agrippina killed. He killed his first wife. Oh, his second wife, Octavia. He kicked her so violently that it killed her. He committed suicide at the, somewhere around the age of 30. Nero is not a good person. During this time period, around this this. A.D. 64, the persecution of the church was starting to really kick up. Remember, 30 years past the resurrection, Christianity, kind of small at the time, information that I looked up, is there's only about 7,000 believers during this time in the world. 7,000 believers. This is why Peter is writing this with such urgency. He says, I appeal. One version of the Bible says, I exhort the elders. This is about not letting this thing in. This is about not letting the flock be distracted, be, be, be done away with by the enemy. It was interesting that during that time, if you become a believer, you're going to be persecuted by your family most likely because you may have been the, very, the only one in your family that was a follower of Christ. 
So your family would most likely persecute you. The church clearly would persecute you. They didn't want you joining that, that Jesus guy. And then, of course, the government under Nero, they were going to persecute. They had not started the martyrdom yet, but it was right on the cusp of it. In fact, this was probably written within about three to four years of Peter's death. That Nero, by the way, was credited with taking the life of Peter and Paul. So we're at the end of this guy's life. And his boldness at the end, because listen, he had to know, he had to know it was getting hot. And man, there was some, there was some suffering going on. This wasn't just water cooler talk. I mean, this was like, oh no. But Peter was so bold and so relentless and he was challenging leaders. You step up and you lead during this time. The flock needs you. All right, so that kind of paints the picture of where we're at. And you're like, well, cool. Because Stoney's talking about 1 Peter chapter 5 and the elders. I'm not an elder. I don't, I'll check out on this. Well, that's, again, that's not what I've learned in my study for the last two or three weeks. Because I really have learned that this is about leadership in general. This is about leadership, whether it's church leadership, whether it's, it's your place of employment, your leadership there, whether it's about leadership at your home or in your community. This whole thing that Peter's talking about, clearly he's talking to elders. Clearly, he doesn't hide that. He says, I appeal to you elders. It's, it's to them, but it can be applied in multiple areas of our lives. So if you're, if you're a leader, good. You... you just tune in. Just tune in with it, all right? If you're not a leader, don't worry. Somewhere around verse 5, we're going to pick up for the followers. We'll get the rest of us, all right? So this message is going to be for all of us today. Let's look at verse 1, chapter 5, 1 Peter. Peter says, To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. So I love the connection right off the bat. Peter says, I'm just like you. I'm a fellow elder, just like you. I've helped lead the church just like you. He builds some common ground with the people that he's actually wanting to encourage, wanting to challenge here. Now look, we know Peter. We know what he did. We know where he was. Peter could have taken this really high, high ground and said, I'm Peter, and you need to listen to me because I was on the Mount of Transfiguration. When Elijah and Moses and Jesus and all of them came around, I was right there with them. So you need to listen to me. He could have said, remember me, Peter? I'm the rock. I'm the one that Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church. You need to listen to me. Peter didn't do that. Peter connected with this group, and I think there's a real solid reason why he didn't do that. Peter was a flawed man. Peter wasn't perfect. Peter, it's, it's interesting. I just kind of Google search failures of Apostle Peter. I had several of them, and I was going through, and I was like, wow. So I was like, well, cool. What if I put my name in failures of Stony Bowl? Page, second page, third page. I was like, stop, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't, don't Google my name for failures. This is the flawed person. But you know what he is? He's a guy that wants to advance the kingdom. 
So just like me and just like you, he's not perfect. But if we're willing to be used by God, he can take that imperfect person and do wonders with it as he's done with Peter. So I said Peter was imperfect. We have some scriptures to to prove that. Let's look at our first one in John chapter 13. You have your Bible, you can flip over. We've got it up on the screen here for you. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, you, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, no, Peter said, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash your feet, you have no part with me. I'm a Tony Evans guy. I don't know if any of y'all know who Tony Evans is. Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship out of Dallas, Texas. Tony Evans says that, that Peter, he wore peppermint socks because he was constantly sticking his foot in his mouth. Look down and see if you got some on today. You're wearing some peppermint socks. I got some on. Constantly sticking my foot in my mouth. Peter was no different than us. Uh, let's, let's look at what else we got. Let's look at Mark 8, 31 through 33. Let's look at another example of Peter. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter, and he said, Get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Tasting that peppermint right now? Yeah. So th- th- this is, this is, this is pre-Pentecost, right? So we know in Acts chapter 2, man, this wind came through. Everything gets crazy. They start just really getting their act together. So probably from that point forward, we don't see any more missteps with Peter, right? Look at, let's look at Galatians. Let's look at Galatians. So I have it in my notes. Galatians chapter 2, verses 8 through 14. For God, Paul is writing this, for God who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Cephas, we know him as Peter. James, Cephas, and John, those esteemed pillars gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship When they recognized the grace given to me, they agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I'd been eager to do all along. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back, separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined 
in him, join him in his hypocrisy so that their hypocrisy, even Barnabas, was led astray. Peter has a history of it. So do I. We're just going to have a moment of transparency here. So do I. I've failed many times. My wife and I, April, will be 40 years that we've been married. Of two children. Man, I wish life was like kickball and you got a do-over. I mean, I'd still marry her. We still have the children. But I just wouldn't make some of those crazy mistakes that I made, right? Right? I mean, because, man, I messed some things up. I have a good friend of mine that's preaching right now at West Cobb Baptist. He and I kind of grew up together. West Cobb Church. We grew up together. We got saved about the same time. Really just from darkness to light, both of us. Terrier Wood, some of you may know him. I love that brother of mine. I was playing church softball. You ever played church softball before? Got to the Got to the softball field, man, I'm warming up. Terry's warming up. I'm warming up. We're throwing the ball back and forth. What's the matter with you? I said, man, Sherry doesn't want me here. Thinks I should be home right now. You know what I'm expecting my brother to say? You know, man's got to have his own time. I mean, he's got, he's got to do his own thing, right? He's got to have some separate. She's got to understand that. You know what he told me? Then why are you here? Ooh, ooh, I probably was 0 for 4 or something other, I don't know. Man, I've made some mistakes. Peter's made some mistakes. But God still, if we just have a heart to be used by God, he will overlook imperfection. Thank goodness, right? Thank goodness. So, let's look at what he has to say to us. So what is Peter's directions? In verse 2 and 3, Peter lays out what leadership is all about. So let's look at verse 2. Be shepherds of God's flock that's under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Peter's laying out this servant leadership thing for this, 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 these church leaders, these elders. He's laying out servant leadership, saying this is not just a J-O-B, but this is a responsibility. And these are all actionable things. None of these are, hey, I want you in your spare time to think about the flock. Oh, when you don't have anything else to do, kind of in your mind, allow some thoughts to run through about your family. That's, that's not what Peter said. Peter said, I need you to serve them. I need you to get there with them. I need you to be an example to them. I need you to know when they're hurting, to hurt when they're hurt, to experience suffering when they're experienced. Know what it's like to walk in their shoes, to know their story. That's what Peter's saying here in these verses. Man, could you imagine at your place of employment if you had a leader that acted like that towards you, that was an example to you, that 
served you the way that God wanted them to? Could you imagine that? Well, let's, let's get it more personal then, if we can. Let's break it inside our homes. Man, what if mom, what if dad, what if husband, what if wife, what if that was their mindset? And they were examples. And they led the family the way God wanted them to. How good could that be? I know it's crazy to think, dads, but man, what if you emptied the dishwasher? What if that example was yours? Man. I do believe that Peter lays out a really good plan for leadership here. So I want to look at each one of these verses and talk just briefly about it. Verse 2, Peter writes, he says, Be willing shepherds under your care, not because you must, but because you are willing. Let's first focus on shepherds. Shepherds is an actionable term. It requires you to lead. It requires people to follow. It requires you to get out in front of the flock and search out risk. Search out danger. Search out anything that might do damage to the flock. You got to be out front. We don't lead from the back. Not shepherds, they do not. They get out front. Oh, you remember that crazy story about David before he slew the big guy, Goliath? Remember what happened? He finds this donkey jawbone and he kills a lion and a bear with it. He didn't do that standing in the back of the flock. And could you imagine again inside our homes if leaders inside our home walked around with this big jawbone of a donkey? Like, something gets to my family before they get there. I'm going to take this offensive position to defend my family. It's the flock. It's not your flock. It's not. Yeah, you were there when they were created, yeah. Or when they were adopted. Or however it came about. But I want to tell you this. It's still God's flock. You didn't put breath in their lungs. My father did. You didn't put life in their veins. My father did. And you didn't put thought in their mind. My father did. So it's God's flock. What if we led like that? The second part in that same verse is they are willing. When, when Paul is writing to Timothy, and in chapter 2, verse uh, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2, and he's listing all these qualifications for elders, overseers, uh, bishops, whatever that language is in your Bible. He says to those who aspire, those who desire, in other words, it's willing. I willingly take this position of leadership. I willingly lead my DMD group. I willingly lead my small group, life group. I willingly married this person and I accept the leadership that comes with it. I willingly accept this promotion at work. I don't think anybody forced us into a leadership position. We all volunteered. We were willing to do it. Well, if we're willing shepherds, then let's act like willing shepherds. Let's get to the front 
Let's have the flock to follow and we lead as God has called us to. Number two, watch over them as God wants you to, not pursuing dishonest gain. There's a contrast there, right? Do it the way God wants to, wants you to, not the way you want to. Well, Stoney, how does God want me to do it? Well, it's clear. You can read, right? Be an example, eager to serve, be a willing shepherd. That's what we are to do as leaders. We're not to hide from that. Well, you say, well, well Stoney, our, our elders, uh, listen, our elders aren't perfect. Look, there's probably nobody in this church that thinks our pastor is more perfect than I do, but Craig ain't perfect. I just think he is sometimes. And listen, if you were here last week and you heard Matt's message, but even then, Matt's not perfect. I used to be a youth pastor at, at my church. And I look at what Troy does with youth and I go, and that Troy, he's, he's close to being a perfect youth guy. But he ain't. He's not. And from every member of our staff, every member of our elders, and let's just get where the rubber hits the road, every person in the seats today, we're not. We're broken people. We're seeking the Savior, and we're trying our best to honor Him in this thing called life. That's who we are, and that's where we are. So this language that, that Peter's using, the shepherd, this flock stuff, is very mindful to me of what we see in John chapter 10. So let's look at John chapter 10. Do we have it up on the screen? Yeah. Very truly, John chapter 10, verse 1. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. He's in front, they're following, leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but, uh, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said it again, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd, Jesus says. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. 
What a contrast to what Peter is saying about the flock. So I guess we got two options, right? We can follow exactly what Peter's saying. Or, oh no, here comes trouble. I think I'll get out of here. Things aren't working the way I thought they would work. My needs aren't being met. You're not who I thought you were. This place isn't what I thought it was. I'm out. Hmm. Listen, Peter has a very clear challenge to us to be a servant leader. The choice is going to be ours. What do we want to do? You know this. Church leadership is a challenge. Said it before when I was on staff with our church as a youth pastor. Man, it's just different, right? You don't get to handpick the flock. But it's what's been entrusted to you. I remember saying as a youth pastor, I, I took our group to, to a youth camp one summer. And we had about 14 or 15. And I remember there's this one, you know, Ugalaga First Baptist. I don't know what it was called. You know, and they're like 60, 70, 80 of my stars. Look at all their kids. They got, man, what that would be like to be a youth pastor with all those kids. And I remember saying to myself, this is what God has entrusted you to. We don't get to pick the flock. We don't. Two adult children, I didn't pick either one of them. If I could, I probably would mess it up because I'd want them to be just like they are. They're not perfect, nor is their dad. Their mom is really close to being perfect at times, I can tell you that. It's our job to get out in front so that nothing scatters our flock. Please don't miss that. Now, why is it um, that, that Peter just, he just pours into this kind of language over and over and over? You probably have heard the phrase that you're, this, you know, you're the sum of the five, av- or five people that you spend the most time with, the average of the five people you spend the most time with. This, all this language in here is very clear that Peter has spent a lot of time with Jesus. Pretty much he spent a lot of time with Paul as well. Taking care of this flock, being a good shepherd. And don't, don't you remember that in John chapter 21? John chapter 21 and verse number 15, Jesus tells Peter, feed my lambs. Feed my lambs. But that's what's going to happen over at Hayes Elementary. Last Saturday in July, I'm going to feed some lambs. Literally, that language is to literally feed them. doesn't get to the last one before it gets to feed as in teach them. John chapter 21, verse 16, Jesus tells Peter, take care of my sheep. Take care of them. And then John chapter 21, verse 17, Jesus tells Peter, Feed my lambs. That is the job of leaders. I don't care if it's in your home. I don't care if it's at work. I don't care if it's in your community or if it's at church. The job of leaders is to teach people. We're all coming to the intersection between right and wrong. Isn't it nice to have had some teaching that goes, okay, 
If you go right, you, this, this, will, this is what will happen. If you go wrong, oh, guaranteed, this is what's going to happen. Gives us that foundation. It's what the Word of God does, right? The Bible, I kind of see it as three things. Number one, it draws us close to the Savior through salvation. Number two, it really teaches us a foundation of truth through all these events, these principles, these, these people in the Bible. And thirdly, it teaches us that we are never alone. That as believers, we've got the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And we can just count on that over and over and over through our imperfect ways. Yeah. So leadership is not easy inside the church. It's not easy anywhere. The key thing that we have to remember is that the flock belongs to God. Verse 4, Peter says, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Now, I don't know what that crown of glory is going to look like. I bet it's cool, right? This I do know about that crown of glory. Revelation, I mean, we sang about it with the Revelation song. Revelation chapter 4, later on today, go back. That song we sang just before I got up here, that's Revelation 4. It is awesome, right? I do know this about Revelation. I take that crown off, and I put it at the feet of Jesus, and I say, this was for you. This is not mine. My life is yours. That is what's going to happen. So this, this, this act of leadership, of pouring into people, suffer when they suffer, suffer, hurt when they hurt, knowing their story, the chief shepherd will appear. And when they does, will receive a crown of glory that will never fade away. Well, that was to, follow, uh, to leaders. So if you're not in a leadership position, now you need to perk your ears up. Catch your breath, because now we're going to start dealing with followers to the rest of us, right? Us followers, because Peter really pours into us as well. So I told you I love Tony Evans. Tony Evans tells, uh, he says, the number one characteristic of a leader is that there's people following them. If people are not following you, you you're probably not a leader, <laughs> probably a follower. It's Okay. I'm a follower. I love following. Verse 5, in the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Can I just say that that doesn't get said enough? That, that verse doesn't get said enough. Not in church, not in society. Could you imagine in society if we actually heard humble, uh, if those of you are younger, submit yourselves to your elders? All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another? Could you imagine? Could you imagine right down the road here at Harrison High School? If our teaching professionals had students that walked in and submitted themselves to them? Could, could you only We would have mile-long applications to get in to be teachers because students submit themselves. We just don't say this enough. Clothe yourself with humility, Peter said. He, 
This was so important that he repeated basically the same thing again in verse 6. In verse 6, he says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Humble, humble yourselves. It's clear that leadership and humility goes hand in glove. John Piper has an interesting quote about it. He says, humility is the opposite of entitlement. You can't be entitled to something and then once you get it, be humble about receiving it. I'm entitled to that promotion and work. They owe me that position. I get here early. I stay late. I do the work. They owe me that position. When you get it, don't act like you're humble. Entitlement and humility don't go together. You know what I do know that goes together? Humility and joy-filled believers. That goes hand in glove. I see it all the time. When you see humble believers, they're always joy-filled. Always. What Peter's not talking about here is he's not talking about false humility. False humility is seen a mile away from followers. False humility is unbecoming. Look at Colossians 2.18 and see what it says about false humility. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. It's unspiritual to have false humility. Don't let that get on us. I love what Peter does here. He jumps from this and he jumps right in to this, this, this passage in verse 7. I think he kind of takes a break and I think he connects really well with followers. He says this in verse 7. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. How much does Peter or does God care for you? How much is that, you think? Because he says, if you're anxious, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And anybody got anxious about the health of their loved ones during COVID? Anybody anxious about a relationship? Anybody anxious about employment? Anybody anxious about where our society is going? Anybody anxious? Peter's encouraging us, don't forget, cast your cares on him because he cares for you. Well, how much does he care for you? That's a good question for me. It's kind of what I ask. Well, I found that in Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, verses 7 and 8. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Think you can handle your anxiety? I do. I do. Humility that we see there in verse 5 and 6, it definitely sets the stage up for verses 8 and 9. First Peter writes in verse 8, Be alert and sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. 
just want to be very clear on this. Satan, our enemy, is looking for proud believers. I believe that wholeheartedly. I believe, you know, if you remember Job, when God says to Satan, hey, where, where have you been? What have you been doing? He said, oh, I've been roaming around. I've been going all throughout the earth. Peter says, I, the, 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 the enemy there, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And can I just encourage you, if you have some pride, could you just learn some humility? Can I share with you from Acts chapter 19 what happened here? Because this is real. This is real. Look at Acts chapter 19. Some Jews who went around uh, driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord. uh, Jesus over those who were demon possessed. They would say in the name of Jesus, uh, the Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Siva, a Jewish uh, chief priest, were doing this. One day the evil spirit answered them. And he said, "Um, Jesus I know, and Paul I know about, but but who are you? Who, who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them, overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. Man, a little bit of warning to us. Humility keeps us from that. Our hope that we have, y'all, it's, it's clearly in Jesus. It's, it's in being humble and being obedient. It's for us to stand firm in the faith. And our hope is the grace of God. Verse 12, we'll wrap up here. I have written you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. Peter said there at the end, This thing that I've been telling you about, this is the true grace of God. This this event that us 7,000 people that we're pouring our lives into, that we're trying to advance, that that Matthew chapter 28, go ye therefore into all the world and preach the gospel. This thing, this is the true grace of God. You stand in it. If you heard Matt last week, You heard his story about what he experienced with the death of his dad. I promise you, during that time, his only opportunity was to stand in grace, was to be carried in grace, was to have grace just envelop him and hold him. Paul wrote something very similar in Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Church, we stand in grace. Followers, we stand in grace. Leaders, we stand in grace. This church staff, we stand in grace. May we always be graceful to one another. Let's pray. Lord, may we be found true to you. May humility reign in our lives. And as leaders, 
may we lead the way we, that you want us to lead, not the way that we want to lead. Lord, draw us all closer and closer to you. May your word be true in our lives, and may we lift you up evermore. We ask all this in your precious son's name. Amen.